Well, tonight I'd like to uh, conclude our series on evangelism. You know, God gave us a great victory on Sunday. We had over 400 people in attendance. Amen. Second only to our love feast attendance. So we had a, we had a, a lot of people out on church on, at church on Sunday. Uh, before we get into the lesson, let's go to God with the word of prayer. And then I just have just some thoughts I'd like to share with you. Let's pray. Our great and awesome Father, we want to come before you once again, thanking you for answering uh, so many prayers, God. We thank you for all those who uh, came out to worship with us on Sunday. Uh, Father, we pray that uh, they will not uh, be one-time visitors. We pray that uh, those who came out will return and, and will want to make this part of their community. Father, we pray that uh, we can remember to follow up and we'll be praying for those who did not come as well as those who did come. Uh, we just ask that you help us to be a light to this world, Father. We ask that uh, those who came and, and heard and saw and, and, and experienced what we get to experience every week, God, I just pray that uh, you'll help them to, to, to have this, this nagging feeling uh, about the Bible, about Jesus, about community, about making a difference. And I pray that you will uh, that you'll satisfy that desire by uh, helping us to study the Bible with them. God, I also want to uh, lift my cousin up, uh, Cola Allen, to you before, in, uh, before you in prayer. Uh, he suffered a brain aneurysm uh, just a few days ago, God. He's a young man, and, and, and I, I pray that I get the opportunity uh, the next day or two to just share the gospel with him and, and uh, just remind him of how loved he is by you and, and uh, to be more than just family to him, but also to be a light. Uh, to him that can uh, help him to escape the darkness. Uh, Father, be with us all as we try to be our best for you and, and strive to be, be like Jesus. I uh, pray that we can love one another deeply and that we can love the lost as we love ourselves. In Christ Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. God did encourage us. Each person I got to meet on Sunday, uh, one of the things I was really encouraged by was not so much as what they thought of the service, but how grateful they were for the person who invited them to church. And that really did encourage my heart. Uh, you know, almost every person I spoke to was grateful uh, for the person who brought them out. And some of them, you know, a few people said, yeah, you know, they've been inviting me out for a few years. Uh, one brother's guest he had met nine years ago, and the brother helped the, uh, the you know, the guy... Uh, with the tenant situation he was dealing with, and he said, we've been friends ever since. He said, in fact, my wife and his wife are better friends than us, and, and they've been friends for the past nine years. So it was nine years ago he invited him out to church, and he finally came out. So keep working on people. You never know when the right time, when they're ripe for harvest. Um, so I'm encouraged by that. Diane Turner's daughter said, and I quote, I prayed this morning for the Lord to give me a word, and he did. That message was for me. And I know she was talking about Zalika, which I was excited to have my partner in crime up there sharing with me. But she was super excited. And, 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 and you know, she's come out to church before. But she had a different buzz about her. She was like, I prayed this morning. And you know how Diane is. She's just like her mother. She's like, I prayed this morning and the Lord gave me a word. And, and you know, people are praying. People are praying for God to make a difference in their lives. And I believe we want to make a difference. I believe we want to make a difference in our lives and in the lives of people around us. You know, they want to be around other people who are making a difference, or at least trying to make a difference. Um, I thought my wife did a great job inspiring the women. Amen. I told her, I said, now you know we do this, they're going to want you to speak more. And so I, I, I'm like, and I'm totally fine with that, because I think the women need to hear from the women a lot. So uh, I thought she did a great job inspiring the women on how Jesus used women to make a difference in his ministry. Um, you know, the CR, our CR ministry, that's just one area where our women are doing a phenomenal job at helping people recover from, from their demons in the world. And, I, you know, we truly we support them. Uh, we pray for them. We, look, uh, we love that because 
It's just one way we can make a difference in someone's life. You never know how God is going to send people to us. Um, I think sometimes we, you know, we would like for God for, for someone to be sent to us with no luggage, no baggage at all. That's not realistic. No one travels without luggage. Now here's the thing, you know when you travel, some people have light luggage. They can carry it on with them, right? But then there's some people who got to check their bags. And some of those bags are heavy, so much so that the airport had to start charging. I was one of those guys. I was one of those pa- I came in with a lot of baggage. And I thank God that he put some brothers in my life to help me carry that baggage on to the cross. People need people. They, we need that. We need people in our lives. And, uh, you know, my lesson tonight is simply this. You know, we talked for the past few weeks about being the church. I want to make it personal. I want to encourage each individual disciple in the room, each individual person in the room, to be the switch. Now, collectively, we'll be the church. You're like, well, James, what are you talking about? Well, you know, at camp, if you've ever served at any of our youth camps, it gets really dark at night. And you need a flashlight to get around. Right? You need a flashlight. This comes on by pushing a button. The lights come on by flicking a switch. You and I are called to light up people's lives. In other words, be that switch in someone's life. Everyone needs someone to be a light in their life. And that's what God has called us to be. Over in Matthew chapter 5, you turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. I'm going to read a different translation. But you can follow through. Matthew chapter 5, verse 14 through 16, it says, You are the light that gives light to the world. A city that is built on a hill cannot be hidden. And people don't hide a light under a bowl. They put it on a lampstand so that the light shines for all the people in the house. In the same way, you should be a light for all other people. Live so that they will see the good things you do and will praise your Father in heaven. People all around us are living in darkness. You know, there's a passage in, I believe it's in Isaiah, that says that some sat in darkness. You know, there are people who sit in darkness. You know, when you, you, if you've uh, ever been lost, sometimes, you know, when you give up searching, people just sit and they just give up like you know what i'm tired of wandering around i can't find my way out and so they sit there's some people who have given up given up hope given up on life and they sit in darkness and the bible calls us to be a light to those people we're called to switch on jesus and illuminate the world around us you know it doesn't matter who you are It doesn't matter where you've been or what you've done in your life because God can still use you to fulfill his purposes and his plans. Now, I thank God that he did not give up on me. I thank God that he does not give up on me because we know even as disciples, we make mistakes, right? We can blow it. Even as Christians in our walk, it's a journey. But we thank God that people don't give up on us. And that God doesn't give up on us. And every now and again, you need someone to come and just remind you of the goodness that we have in Christ Jesus. So I have three quick points tonight. And I want to make this very interactive. So I'm going to need you guys to help me out with this. The first thing is, it's not about your past. Sometimes we allow our past to keep us from living towards the future. We can't see what the future holds for us. We don't know what's ahead, but God does. And sometimes our past can keep us from allowing God to use us. Uh, You look over in Acts chapter 9. You guys remember this guy named Saul, right? Saul is a perfect example of this. In Acts chapter 9, verse 1, we're going to read a little bit. And then I want to ask you guys a couple questions. In Acts chapter 9, verse 1, you know, God, the church is still pretty young. Uh, Right now, at this point, it's just the the apostles that's leading the church. 
But God wants his word to spread everywhere. And so God is in the, he's in the, he's in, he's in the, uh, the mode of lighting up the darkness at this point. And he needs more workers. So he, he reaches out to this one guy named Saul. In Acts chapter 1, Acts chapter 9, and verse 1, it says, Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found anyone there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from, he from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Now I think this is interesting right here. Because Jesus is the voice, in case you were wondering, right? Jesus said, why are you persecuting me? Which goes back to what we've been looking at. Remember my uh, little friend, my little skeleton friend that I, I brought to church to illustrate the body? He didn't say, why are you persecuting my church? He said, why are you persecuting me? Why did he say that? Because the body is the body of Christ. There is a connection, an inseparable connection that Jesus has with his church. So much so that when he confronted Saul, he said, why are you persecuting me? He made it personal. And then Saul says, who are you, Lord? In verse 5, I'm Jesus, whom you're persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what to do. Now here's the encouraging thing about somebody confronting Jesus. When Jesus says go, they will go. I mean, this is, this is Saul, big bad Saul, but Jesus said, get up and go. And what did he do? In verse, in verse 7 it says, the men traveling with Saul stood there speechless because they heard the sound but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. And for three days, he was blind, did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision. He said, Ananias, yes, Lord. He answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he had seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Now, this is when it starts to get real. In verse 13, Lord, uh, Ananias said, I've heard many reports about this man. And all the harm he has done to the saints in Jerusalem. And he's come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, go. This man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it, placing his hands on Saul. He said, brother Saul. He made sure to, you know, I'm your brother. Brother Saul. The Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again. He got up and was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. Now, let's keep reading here, because it gets good. Now Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. At once he began to preach in the synagogues. And right away, God is using Saul. He began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. All those who heard him was astonished and asked, Isn't he the, the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on his name? And hasn't he come here to take pr as prisoners? See, it was no secret what Saul was about what he came to do, and who he came to do it to. Everybody knew who 
Saul was. He had a reputation. He had a past. Then it says here in verse 22, Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Christ. After many days had gone by, the Jews conspired to kill him. How the tables have turned. But Saul learned of their plan. Day and night, they kept close watch on the city gates in order to kill him. But his followers took him by night and lowered him in a basket through an opening in the wall. When he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, came to church. But they were all afraid of him. Not believing that he was really a disciple. But there was one good brother, Barnabas, took him and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. I mean, isn't that a powerful story? Paul, or Saul at the time, received a call from God, and it changed everything for him. He had a messed up past, but God still chose to use him to change this world, to make a difference, regardless of his past. You know, one of the things about God that I think we can all learn from, Jesus doesn't take things personally. He didn't take the fact that Paul, that he was going around persecuting people, in his name, anyone that called on he didn't say, well, you know what, I'm not going to use this guy because he slandered me, he dragged my name through. That wasn't, God doesn't let things like that bother him. He said, instead, I'm going to change his focus. I'm going to give him a different purpose. I'm going to give him a mission. He's going to make a difference on my behalf. No, God has a way of doing that. He has a way of making up for our past and even leveraging it for his glory. And we see Saul go from being the hunter to being the hunted. He went around from place to place looking for Christians to lock up. And now we see twice in verse 23 and verse 29 that he himself has become the hunted. People are now looking for him to take his life because he's speaking for Jesus. So let me ask you this question. How could Paul have allowed his past to keep him from making a difference? How could Paul have allowed his past to keep him from making a difference? Say it again. Been worried about what people thought of him. I mean, think about it. The man shows up at church and everybody's... I mean, can you imagine him, you know... Saul, we all, Henry's up there singing glory, glory, and stops mid, and everybody's eyes turn to the back because they see Saul at church, and he just made known to everybody, social media, the news, everywhere that I'm looking for Christians, and if I find you, I'm dragging, I don't care if you're a man, I don't care if you're a woman, I don't care if you just got married, I don't care how old you are, you're going to jail. And then all of a sudden, he shows up at Aaron Davis Hall... And we're getting our worship on. The worship team stops singing and everybody's eyes is looking to the back. And then we all look to the back. And there's that guy who was all over social media. Threatening to lock up Christians. And now he's getting up there preaching. On Sunday. He could have let people, the way people think about him keep him from preaching God's word. But he didn't. What, how else? He could, have, he could have felt guilty and shamed, right? I mean, he, you know, he, he, he felt bad. He repented. But he could have let that guilt overwhelm him. And, and, and he could have went and had a pity party for himself and... What was me? Look what I did to God's people. And, but he didn't allow that to happen. That's a good point. Anyone else? How could the poor? Fear of who? I mean, fear of what people knew about him. Right? I mean, think about it. 
So you got people chasing you, hunting you down to kill you, and lock you up. And then you go to church to the Christians, and they're not well, they're not warm. So Paul, you know, there's a lot of fear he felt, right? Mm. You ever felt like you weren't worthy to be used by God because of your past? Regrettable. Felt a lot of regret. He, you know, he could have been afraid that his past would have clouded his message. And that people would have been too focused on who he was rather than what he was saying. Right, Marge? Mm-hmm. Paul takes away all excuses. He takes away all excuses about who God will and will not use. Even when the disciple made the argument, like, you can't use him. Like, are you sure? He's like, go. I'll show him how much he must suffer for my name. I chose him. We can't get in front. We can't look. If you try to stop God from using somebody, God will move you out the way. God is going to use who God is going to use, whether you agree or disagree, and regardless of their past. Now, how can we allow our past to keep us from making a difference? How can we allow our past? Disobedience? So, so if you have a past of being disobedient, right, and you haven't addressed that, that could keep you from, from making a difference for God, right? Say it again. Not being forgiven. It's one thing needing to be forgiven but it's a whole other thing needing to forgive yourself right because there are times we do things and we set standards for ourselves sometimes those standards for ourselves can be real unrealistic and because we don't meet our own I'm, I'm guilty of this there are times I set limits for myself that's unrealistic and when I fail to meet my own expectations I beat myself up and then you start getting down and you get depressed and then you start but it's like you got to learn to forgive yourself it's a great point. Worldly sorrow. Who could have had worldly sorrow worse than Paul? Right? Culture. Your culture. That's a great point. How can our culture keep us from making a difference? Racism. If you grew up in a culture of racism, that could keep you from making a difference in other cultures, right? Isolation. Who, like, who doesn't like being by themselves? Every now and again, it's all right. But staying by yourself, isolating yourself from the rest of the world can definitely keep you from having an impact. You and then. Mm. Very self-deceiving. Um, not, not, really, you know, not really being real with yourself about who you are can keep you from making an impact. Jerome? I mean, when you're in a clique with people that's just like you, 
you're not really making a difference, right? Because everybody's just like you. They think like you, talk like you, walk like you. I mean, so you're not really making a difference as a, gr- as a group. No, what keep you? What, what, yeah, what, how can we allow our past to keep us from making a difference? You know, that's a great point. Paul actually had to address some of that in his letter to the Corinthians. Because he didn't walk with Jesus like... Cephas and, and, and the other apostles so he could have allowed that to make him insecure well I didn't get to walk with Jesus because that was that was what the, the Corinthians accused him for how do we even know you're a real apostle you didn't walk with you didn't walk with Cephas you, didn't, you weren't with Jesus so how are you how, how do we know you're who you are and Paul had to defend himself in a righteous way and say look Jesus himself stopped me on the road to Damascus and made me who I am. I would say, um, for You know, that's, that's, a pretty, that's a pretty insightful, you know, if you're used to like running to your family and friends defense, whether that be cursing people out or you're ready to, you know, to get violent because this, you, they, you know, they hurt your family. Or they, Jesus tells us to take a totally different approach. In my quiet time today, I was looking at uh, Psalm 3 when David prayed when he was fleeing Absalom and towards the end of that Psalm, he was saying, Lord, Strike their jaw, break their teeth. And you know what I did, right? I went right to 2 Samuel. I wanted to see if God answered that prayer. I, I couldn't remember. I'm like, did God actually answer that? But, you know, what I love, what I appreciate about David was like, David's attitude was like, I can't do anything. But God, you can. Because you're just, you're righteous. And so we have to learn if we used to deal with things, and we dealt with conflict one way in the past, that we can't deal with that going forward. Because that can't keep us from making a difference. Like, if you're not different from the world, then how can you make a difference in the world? I mean, that's, you know, sometimes it's the personal reputation. Sometimes it's the reputation from where you live. You know, I can't tell you how many times I've visited other churches. And innocently, people try to fellowship you. And they say, you know, where are you from? First of all, everybody thinks the Bronx and Harlem and all is all cupped up in the way. I need, like, stop watching so many movies, all right? But they think New York is this one gigantic gang capital. Well, we got all we do is sell drugs, make rap videos, and and drive expensive cars. And I'm like, um, no, there's more. There's, there's more to New York than that. But it's just the assumption that you're rough because you come from a rough part of town. And so the reputation of where you're from can keep you from making a difference because if people already made their mind up that I don't want to deal with anybody from the hood or from this place or that place, it can keep you from having an impact. But, you know, Saul didn't allow that to happen. And we know that Saul went all over the world. So I want to keep going because I got a lot more questions. 
So let me ask you guys this. How has God used your past to make a difference in someone's life? How has God used your past, Brenda? Amen. So see, you see. Yeah. Hmm. That's a great point. Have you ever met someone that had a very similar background and reminded you of you? And you just sat there like, look at me. And all you can do is just thank God of how far he brought you, right? I mean, I'm like, oh my goodness. You know, I have friends that, that I, I bump into every now and again, and I'm just, I'm just like, wow, my life could have taken a totally different direction had it not been for Jesus. And, and I, I'm just grateful. So, you know, our past can make a difference in someone's life. Equally important is, not, is to not allow someone else's past to keep you from being a switch for them. Sometimes, you know, when you look at the meeting between Saul and Ananias, that was divinely arranged. Like God gave specific instructions to Ananias about where to go, who to look for, and in a separate vision, he told Saul to expect Ananias' arrival. And so God set that up. And that's what I'm saying. There are people out there right now who are praying to God. There are Saul's out there right now who are praying to God, and God is speaking to us and saying, hey, no, go that way. Sometimes it can just be an inclination to take a different train or a different route. Sometimes that, you know, we hate being late. But maybe you were late for a divine reason. Maybe you were late for a divine reason. You know, I, I tell you guys, you heard this story a million times. You know, I'm at the college campus. This guy walks up to me out the blue. I'm waiting for my friend. He's late. I'm waiting for him. Thank God he didn't come out. When I left, because then we would have left and I would have never met the guy who changed my life forever. So because someone was late, God was right on time. And you know, sometimes we got to look at, okay, God, I'm late. Who do you want me to meet? There's somebody, because I've been really trying to be on time, Lord, so you know that. So you, you obviously have a divine purpose for this. How can we turn this around to give you glory? And look for those opportunities. Ananias was understandably shaken by the Lord's command to go. And you know, sometimes we too can be a little shaken when it comes to sharing our faith. Not knowing who, will, who we'll meet or what type of person we'll be talking to. I've studied the Bible with men who have taken lives. Not knowing that until before we sat down to study the Bible. And you've got to keep your composure you got to show them the same compassion, the same love, the same attention as you would had this person been a librarian all their lives. Everybody, believe it or not, deserves a chance, a second chance to meet Jesus. Saul was a murderer. 
And God gave him keys to the kingdom. Think about that. God sent this man to usher in salvation for the Gentiles. That's not a, that's not a small role. Now, even though Ananias was afraid of Saul's reputation, he obeyed God. And that's what got him through it. Someone said this earlier, obeying God. You know, when we obey God, your fear dissipates. You get past that initial fear, and we all have it, even me. When we're doing that campaign, I'm like, uh. I mean, you know, it's like nowadays, you used to, I used to tell a person I'm a minister. They'd be like, oh, praise a minister, you know. Nowadays, you tell people you're a minister. I'm like, oh, yeah, bleep and bleep, bleep and me. And what do you think about this bleeping president and bleep, bleep and bleep? And I'm like, did you hear that I said I was a minister? I mean, that respect is gone. And people just assume that I curse. So when they start, they say, oh, would you even think about that? I'm like, uh, <laughs> I don't know how to respond to that because I don't curse. But they just assume, big black guy, oh, he curses. We can't let people keep us from making a difference. We can't let other people's past keep us from making a switch and being a switch in their lives. Point number two, it's not about you. It's not about you. That's the point God was trying to get across to Ananias. This is not about you. This is about all the lost people, all those who are sitting in darkness right now. So I need you to go. God didn't spend a whole lot of time explaining or arguing or trying to convince Ananias. He simply said, go. Now when God tells us to go, we need to go. We're going to go one way or the other. God has a way of motivating us, moving us, getting us up and out. And I think what will help us go a lot faster is if we, when we realize it's not about me. This is not about me. John was prophesied about in the Old Testament. They compared him to Elijah. They said that there's one that's coming in the spirit of Elijah to prepare the way for the Lord. That's, that's who John the Baptist was compared to, Elijah, the prophet. And so when John comes and he starts preaching and people go out to the wilderness to hear this, this, this preacher, he tells them about Jesus. He tells them, look, I'm not the one you're really here to see. He's coming soon, and he's, such, he's so great that I'm not even worthy of unstrapping his sandals. That's how awesome he is. And so John is basically saying, guys, look, this is not about me. This is not about me. This is about he who is yet to come. And in John chapter 1, verse 23, in John verse 1, verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 23, says, John replied to the words, Replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet, I am the voice of one calling in the wilderness, make straight way for the Lord. Make straight the way for the Lord. John understood his purpose. He understood this is not about me. This is about Jesus. We too are in the spirit of John the Baptist. We're making a way for the Lord. We're directing people. We're showing people the way to Jesus, just like John the Baptist. In verse 29 of John chapter 1, verse 29, it says, The next day John saw Jesus coming toward him, and he said, Look, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant when I said, A man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. I myself did not know him. But the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. And then in John 3 verse 30, it says, He must become greater, I must become less. John knew his, por his purpose. He knew his role. He knew that he was simply there to point people to Jesus. Now, he knew... That if Jesus was to take center stage, that means that he has to take a backstage. He has to take a stage back. He has to take a step back. And you know, our call is the same. 
It's not about us, but it's all about what God wants to do in us and through us. Now let me ask you this, how can we make saving the lost more about us than about Jesus? We can make it seem like we're the ones doing the miracle, right? When we take rejection personally, that's a good point. about ourselves, we are kind of watering down what God is able to do, right? You know, it's not about you convicting that heart. It's all about God convicting someone's heart. So I read. That can mess up your fellowship, right? You invited somebody to church, and instead of focusing on God, you're looking in the back like, man, this is, where he at? He said he was coming. You know, you, you're looking back and you're looking back and you, you did your part, right, Jack? When we let our feelings and... From keeping us from opening our mouths... Having preconceived notions. Ooh, who's not, who hasn't done that? Right? I mean, I've done that many a times. Convinced myself that somebody wasn't open without even opening my mouth first. Oh, he doesn't look open. What does an open person look like? Yeah, yeah, you, you missed that opportunity. I'm not making the most of every opportunity. Mm. Yeah, sometimes, sometimes we go a little too out of the way to make Jesus and the gospel relatable. And, and, and we end up like, you know, I, I know, tell me if you guys can relate to this. Have you ever said this before? That's my fruit right there. Point to somebody that you helped come to the Lord as your fruit. Like you're the tree that bears good fruit. Have you ever done that? I'm guilty of that. I've even gone as far as introduce, hey, this is so-and-so, this is my fruit right here. And I studied the Bible with him. And because, and especially if they stay faithful, you really want to talk to them. I'm like, yeah, you know, you've been around for five years. That's my fruit. And, and we take credit for what God is. Like, we were the ones who aligned the meeting. Like, we were the ones who wrote the, wrote the words, convicted the heart. Like, we were the ones who, who designed all that to happen. It ain't your fruit. It's not your fruit. Here's another way. We can make saving the laws more about us. We highlight the things in the church that's designed to make the church more attractive rather than the head of the church. Does that make sense? I remember... My evangelism was very simple. If I met a married man, my pitch was, oh, you need to come check out my church. We don't have any divorce. People don't get divorced in my church. If I met a single mom, oh, you need to come because we have a great kids' kingdom. Your kid will do awesome. They go to our kids', our kids club. We got a whole curriculum. 
if I met a young man, now sisters, don't hate me, I'm just saying, if they ask, you got women in your church? I'm like, oh, of course we got sisters in our church. Now I would qualify like, but they won't date you because they don't date non-Christians. But if they ask the question, I'm not going to lie. I mean, we got some, we got beautiful sisters in our church. I marry one of them. So, you know, but here's the thing. When you go to a wedding, you're not there because of what the bride has on. You're not there to celebrate what the groom has on. You're there for the couple. We're here for God. Jesus is what makes all these things possible. And so when we share our faith, highlighting the kids' kingdom, highlighting the fact that we have great marriages, highlighting that we have awesome sisters, highlighting that we have awesome brothers, highlighting that we have great singers, highlighting all those things is not highlighting Jesus. Because at any given time, at some point in our walk, we were displeased with some or all of those things. Maybe you dropped your kid off at Kids Kingdom and they had a terrible time. You ain't going to talk about that this week. Maybe you and your spouse are not going through a great time. You don't want to talk about that. Maybe the song, they didn't sing your favorite song on Sunday. Or maybe they did and your favorite song leader wasn't leading it. And that really sent you through the roof. Say, hold a second, that's not his song. He ain't supposed to be singing that song. She's not supposed to be singing that part. And now it just messed up your whole worship. And so that week, you may not want to talk about how good the song service is. And maybe you went and said, you know, we got a, we got a decent preacher. And my message that Sunday fell through the floor. And you and your, in your hearts, you're like, amen, James. But you're like, Lord, help James. I don't know what he was talking about. I don't know why he rhymed that point. Doesn't even rhyme. Doesn't make any sense. Maybe you felt. I, I don't know. But we can't. When we when we highlight the things that's supposed to help make it attractive more than we highlight Jesus, we're not converting people to Jesus. We're letting we're setting them up to be a part of a great fellowship. But what's going to keep them in the fellowship needs to be Jesus. You know, and guys, look, I, I've been guilty. Like I've said, I've been guilty of that. I've been guilty until I, I had to ask myself, all right, am I actually sharing my faith or am I just inviting someone? Now, look, that's where you start. All right. I don't want to say to not invite people to church, to not invite people to Bible, to not invite people to me. I invite people to everything. All right, because I do believe that if God can get them in the building, we can get them in the building, arrange it, that you guys will do the work. They'll see this and they'll be like, oh, I want to be a part of this. I honestly believe that. But I can't use the church to anchor people. The church is a part, is the body, but Christ is the head. So they need to be anchored in Jesus because... When we're not at our best, what's going to keep people around? It's got to be Jesus. It's got to be Jesus. So when we're being the switch for someone, we're highlighting the things of God, the things that are eternal, not the things that will eventually perish. Kids' kingdom won't last forever. As awesome as our worship, so I don't even know if we'll be singing these same songs in heaven or not. But at the end of the day, the things that are eternal are the things that we need to highlight and those are the things that of Christ. And the last point is this. It's all about God. It's not about your past. It's not about you. But it's all about God. Uh, in Exodus chapter 2. Exodus chapter 2. We all know the story of Moses. This is one of my favorite stories. Moses is one of my favorite characters in the Bible. I feel a personal connection to Moses. 
Uh, I, I love, I just love how real uh, God keeps Moses in the, in the, in the scriptures. Uh, Exodus chapter 2, I'm not going to have you read the whole thing, but, you know, Moses was, was rescued at birth uh, for a purpose. And this was a time when in, in Egypt, all the, the newborn boys were being thrown into the Nile and, and Pharaoh, Pharaoh was, um, I mean, he was just terrible. And, and the Hebrew, you know, you could imagine these families being torn apart, watching their kids being ripped away from their, ripped out of their arms and, and, and destroyed. And so, but God had a special plan for Moses. And, you know, it turns out that, you know, Moses' mother put him in a, in a, a basket. His, do, his sister followed and, and she basically brought him, you know, Pharaoh... Pharaoh's daughter asked, well, who is he? He said, I know the mother. She got, she gave, the mother gave, that's a beautiful mother, you know, faith, uh, 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 story about a mother's faith right there. She let her child go and God brought him right back to her. I mean, that's just, it's just an amazing story. And the sister, in verse 7, it says, then the sister asked Pharaoh's daughter, should I go and get one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? Yes, go, she answered. And the girl went and got the baby's mother. So, she went, got Moses' muscle. God was God had a plan to take care of Moses, and that's something that we need to we need to hold dear to us is that if God has a plan for your life, God will not let anything happen to you until that plan is done. You know, I mean, how how much clearer could it have been that God was in control when the mother puts the child out there and and just hope for the best, and God took care. You know, if you're a parent. And I know sometimes we can be fearful for our kids. But I want to encourage us to imitate Moses' mother's faith. She let her child go and God, through all the dangers that he faced, God's hand was still on his life. And God took care of and protected Moses because God had a plan. God loves our kids and no one loves him more. Our kids more than God. Now even though, you know, Moses... Well, later, you know, after he grew up, he, he, um, he got himself into some trouble. He killed an Egyptian. And then he went, saw his Hebrew brothers fighting. And they were like, well, who are you to tell us? You're a murderer. You're going to kill us like you did the Egyptian? And then Pharaoh eventually found out, and Moses ran for his life, ran to Midian, and uh, was taken in by the Midianites. Now... Moses would ask God in chapter 3, we can pick up here, um, Exodus chapter 3, in verse 1 it says, Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush, and Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see the strange sight, why the, the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the Lord I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. The home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites have reached me. And I've seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go. I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. You know, God hears and sees everything. God's suffering moves God to action. God does not stand idly by while people are being oppressed, while people are being mistreated, while people are being taken advantage of. God will eventually send someone 
to bring relief. And guess what? It might be you. You might be thinking, man, that's wrong what they're doing right there. That's, that's terrible. You think that passion just came from nowhere? God might be sending you to be the one to make the difference. God might be sending you to, want, to be the one to go and stop what's going on. God hears. God sees. And we're like, James, I hope he ain't calling me because I'm not trying to go stop nothing. But here's the thing, you never know how God can use you. God has given each of us a passion for a reason. Your life is not your life just because you just happen to be dealt a certain deck of cards. Your life is your life for a purpose. There's a reason God gave you the gifts and the talents and the strengths that you have. It's not to make you look more attractive. It's to make him look more attractive because of what he's going to do through you. There's a reason why one person doesn't have all the talents. Each of us have a different talent. Each of us have a different gift. Each of us have different sensitivities. So that when this person misses it, somebody will pick up on it. Each of us have different strengths. So when this weakness over here, there's some strength over there. And that strength can help that weakness. God has designed us for very specific tasks. Very specific. Moses' life. Why Moses? Why Moses? Why not another Hebrew baby? Simply because God chose him. You might say, well, God, why me? I don't know. I don't know if you'll ever get that answer. Maybe it's because he's God and he's calling you to go. You know, the story ends with Moses finally accepting God's call, going to Pharaoh, freeing his people, and then they go on this long journey in the desert. But not before Moses had a few protests of his own. Now, even though he would run, eventually run, you know, run away and that God would call him back, Moses would ask the question, how can I do this? And I think sometimes that's the wrong question to ask God. How can I do this? Because God answered back. God told him, I will do this. I will do it. And then finally God had to say, Moses, all right, well, who should I tell him to send to me? And God is all right, you obviously aren't getting it. Tell them I am who I am is sending you. Because he wanted to get Moses, he wanted Moses to understand that it's not about you. It's not even about your past that you killed somebody. It's not about you right now. Well, I don't speak well, Lord. Well, I don't do all these excuses sometimes we can come up with. Well, Lord, I'm not educated. Well, Lord, I don't look right. Well, Lord, I don't have this. Well, Lord, my, my, my apartment's not right. My life's not right. My job's not right. My shoe's not right. And God is like, wait a minute. I am... Sending you, I will work through you, I will speak through you, I will move through you. It's not about you, I'm choosing to use you. That should be enough. And let me tell you something that's what we want because at the end of the day, when God, when God's people were acting crazy, what did Moses say? Your people. Whom you called out of Egypt. If God is calling you, then God is saying, I'm also taking responsibility. If I'm calling you to go here, I know what I'm doing. And you're perfect for the job. You have all the right tools. Don't worry about it. I got this. And we just need to accept God. And obey. And that's how we make a difference. That's how we make, you know, every person that I've shared my faith with, that God has allowed me to help become a Christian, there's been some protest. When I met Annette, I was at the dentist's office in pain, didn't want to talk to anybody. I couldn't talk to anybody. Overheard her talking about church. 
And even then, I was like, James, you're in pain. Just to get through this. She probably goes to the church. She's probably not going to come. Told right away. Making an excuse. And then I said, you know what? Let me say something. And you know how sometimes you invite somebody, you give them your wife's card. For those of you who are married or you give them somebody, they don't call. All that was going through my mind. The past. My past experience. Dealing with people who have said they were open in the past. Not knowing that God had arranged that meeting. That God had allowed my tooth to happen, to ache exactly at the right time. And for me to get the appointment at the exact time, the exact location that Annette would be working. That she would be my attendant, not the person who came before me or after me. That I got there just at the right time to hear that conversation. To extend that invitation. That can't be nothing other than God. God wants to make a difference through you. It's not about your past. It's not about you. It's all about God. God will power us. You know, when you turn on the light switch, there's power that goes from that switch. I don't know how it's all designed. Maybe an electrician can explain it. But I know when you flick that switch, the lights come on. God is calling us to be that switch in someone's life. And he'll be the power that flows through us to light it up. I hope and pray that this encourages you. I hope and pray it inspires you to want to make a difference and to be that change in someone else's life. To God be the glory. Thank you.